So this past, actually it was what, two, three weeks or so ago, I got this email. I get you know, a bunch of emails every day, all sorts of different things, work-oriented, relationship-oriented, that sort of thing. But I got one of these emails uh, a couple of weeks ago, and maybe you get something like this. It asked me two questions in the email. It said, first, if you could change anything about your life, what would it be? If you could change anything about your life, what would it be? And then the second question was, if you had unlimited resources, what dreams would you fulfill? So I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. And I started reading the email, hopefully, hoping that they were gonna offer me these unlimited resources so that I could fulfill my dreams. And then I saw that the address was from Nigeria. No, it wasn't one of those sort of scam things. It was actually somebody who was really trying to get the, the, his readers to think about these questions, to think about like, you know, if you could just dream big, if you could change anything that you wanted in your life, what would it be? You know, would you, would you change your physical appearance? Would you be taller? Would you be shorter? Would you be stronger? Would you be, you know, have a different color of, uh, of eyes or hair or something like that? What about your health? You know, you feel like if you could just get over this chronic illness that you have, your life could be so much better. Or maybe you'd change something about your relationships. You know, you'd get married or you'd make some new friends or you'd trade in some of your old friends for a new set of golf clubs or, you know, something like that. What would you do? What would you change in your life? Would you change your financial situation? If I could just have this much money, my life would be so much better. Or if I could just get a new job, if I could just get any job, if I could trade in my boss for a newer model, my life would be so much better. You know, what would it be if you could change, just dream anything about your life, what would you do? And then take that second question. So you're given unlimited resources, right? You, you know, either uh, you inherit it or somebody gives it to you, just forget reality for just a minute. You've got unlimited resources. What would you wanna do? You know, would you wanna, would you wanna travel? Would you, take an extended vacation? Would you climb you know, all of the different mountain peaks around the world? Would you retire right now at age 32 you know, for the rest of your life? Or would you think of something even bigger than that? Would you try to solve the problem of hunger throughout the world or solve the AIDS crisis or global warming or whatever it is that you would wanna solve? Just dream, set aside all restrictions Set aside in some sense the reality of life. If there were unlimited funds available for you, unlimited resources and absolutely no restrictions, what would you do? This past week, I, I read an article about somebody who fulfilled their dream by buying the Oppenheimer Blue Diamond. Only cost them $57.6 million dollars at an auction over in, I think it was in Geneva. I hope that they had some money left over to buy a dress so that they could wear that dress with that new ring that they, you know, that they now own. My dream, and this is actually serious, my dream used to be to ride a bicycle, to ride my bicycle all the way across the country. I was going to start on the East Coast, ride to the West Coast. I was going to take an entire summer off, ride all the way across the country. I'm looking forward to seeing all the different sites, meeting different people. You know, I, I actually did a lot of research on this. I uh, planned, I planned out several different possible routes. I spent a lot of time looking at different bicycles. I was trying to decide between, am I gonna do it on my own? Am I gonna sort of 
do camping? Am I going to bring a buddy with me and do it that way? Are we going to do hotels or would I, you know, pay some money and have a tour? You, you can pay for these tour groups that'll take care of pretty much everything for you. They almost ride the bicycle for you, so I'm not sure what the point of that is. But they'll help you with everything, cooking your meals. They'll set up camp for you, do all that sort of stuff. And I was thinking, that was the dream that I had. And actually, about 15 years ago, I had the opportunity to fulfill that dream. I was doing, some of you know, I used to do a college ministry. I was a chaplain uh, at Princeton University, and a couple of the students came to me and they said, hey, we hear that you've got this dream of riding your bicycle across the country, and we're going to do it this coming summer. Do you want to join us? And so I talked to Ann, my wife, and you know, we, we talked it back and forth and decided, yeah, I actually could take the summer off, and I could ride my bicycle across the country with these two guys, and we started talking it through. And as we got further and further along, I said, wait a second, we've got a little problem here. You are a marathon runner, you are on the bicycling team, and I am twice your age. What's wrong with this picture here? So I decided now it's not going to fulfill the dream that way. But a couple of years ago, about three or four years ago, I started to begin to ride my bike again and training just a little bit, and then I hit a pothole, flipped over, concussion, broken rib, all that sort of fun stuff. I have not been back on a bicycle since then. That dream is gone. Give me unlimited resources, and I still will not do that. Instead, my dream today is to write a book, because I think the most dangerous thing that could happen there is maybe a couple of paper cuts or something like that. But, but seriously, what would your dream be? If you could just do anything that you wanted to do, what would you do? And when you think about it, most of those dreams that we have most of those desires that we have are actually inherently good. Marriage is good. Children are good. They're a blessing. Friends are a gift. Food, eating the best food, it tastes good. God wants us to enjoy the food that we eat. Going to the beach is restful. A vacation in the mountains can be, can be rejuvenating. And these are all good gifts that God has given to us because he loves us. Now, last week, I want to take a quick aside for a minute. Last week, we looked at an interaction that the Apostle Paul, who was one of the leaders in the early Christian church, we looked at an interaction that Paul had with, a, uh, with really the culture shapers, the culture makers, the leading intellectuals in the, in the city of Athens. And so Paul had been traveling around. He had been talking about Jesus to people all, really all over the Roman Empire. He arrives at Athens. He's waiting for his friends there. And in verse 16 of Acts chapter 17, Luke writes, he says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, we talked about last week, Paul was raised as a Jew. He was probably the most devout Jew of his time. And he was outraged because these people were worshiping idols instead of the one true God. And Paul's also not just a Jew, but he's a follower of Jesus. And he sees these people worshiping idols rather than worshiping Jesus. And he's outraged by it. But instead of going nuclear on, him, on them, he looks throughout the city and he finds a connection. He finds something in their culture that will enable him to begin to introduce them to the one true God. And he says in, in verse 23, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what 
I'm going to proclaim to you. He's looking around. He sees all these altars to all sorts of different gods, and he sees this wild card altar to an unknown god. They realized that there was a god out there whom they didn't know, and Paul says, you know what? You're absolutely right, but I know who that God is, and I want to tell you about him. And then he begins to tell them about this unknown God, and he speaks about him because he is the creator of the universe. And he said, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Everything that we have, Paul is saying, comes from this God. He's greater than Zeus, who is in a sense the head of the Greek pantheon. He's even greater than Zeus because he's the one who gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And what Paul's effectively doing at this point is he's alluding back to the opening chapters of the Bible of what they would have understood to be the Hebrew scriptures. But these are people who are not Jews. So they're not familiar with the Hebrew scriptures. So he just starts talking to them and fills them in about this God whom they realize is out there but have no idea who he actually is. And Paul starts talking. And if we think back to those opening chapters of the book of Genesis, we see God creating the sun. We see him creating the moon. We see him creating the stars in the sky. And if you just, if you just take some time some evening and look out at the beautiful sky and think about the incredible creation that God has given us. God created the oceans. God created the lakes. He created thousands and thousands of varieties of fish. When Anna and I went on our honeymoon in, in, in Hawaii, we got to, to go snorkeling. Just a, a half a dozen of us or so went snorkeling on this coral reef and we saw so many colors and shapes and sizes of fish, and it's just so amazing to think that God created all of those, how beautiful that they are. He created the mountains, he created the, the valleys, he created forests with hundreds of different kinds of trees and plants and animals and birds, and they all come in different shapes and sizes and different colors. Just picture the most beautiful nature scene that you have ever seen in your entire life and multiply that by 10,000 fold and it still doesn't do justice to the incredible beauty that God had created. An amazing God made all of this and then when he's finished creating all the rest of the world, he created us and he put us in that world. He created us the Bible says, in his image. He made us to look like him, to be his representatives in the earth. And then he steps back and he surveys all that he's created and he looks at it and he's pleased. He's happy. He says, this is very good. This is exactly what I intended to create. It's exactly the way I want it to be. But then... Then he does something amazing. He turns to Adam and Eve and he says, here you go. All of this is for you. The mountains, the valleys, the oceans, the fish, the birds, the animals. Enjoy it. Have fun. Walk around. Climb the mountains. Sit under the shade of the trees. Eat the fruit. Eat the plants. Play with the animals. All of this I've created for you to enjoy. I've created it for you to care for. I'm giving you the responsibility of caring for it, but I also want you to just enjoy it because I love you. 
And that's why God gave us the creation that he gave us. All of the things that we enjoy, all of the good things that we have are gifts from our amazing God who loves us and who wants us to enjoy both him and the gifts that he's given to us. A few years, a few years after Paul was in Athens, he wrote a letter to his young protege, a guy named uh, Timothy. And he says to Timothy, really interesting thing that he says, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Sometimes you think about, you know, what, what uh, someone might say to somebody who's, who's very wealthy. Command those who are rich in this world to, to give away all of their wealth. Command those who are rich in this world to, you know, and whatever it may be. What he says, command them not to put their hope in wealth, but to enjoy the things that God has given us. He has richly provided us with everything for our enjoyment. So enjoy the good gifts that God's given you. Enjoy your house. Enjoy your car. Take a nice vacation. Go to a Broadway show. Enjoy dinner at a nice restaurant. Send your kids to a good school. Save for your retirement. Throw a party. Invite me to your party. We'll have an even better time there. You know, God wants us to enjoy the things that he's given to us, and we shouldn't feel guilty about it. The idea that we shouldn't enjoy good things, that we shouldn't have fun, that there's something morally wrong about enjoying the things that we have and the things that we do, that comes from Kant, Immanuel Kant. That does not come from Scripture. It doesn't come from the Bible. God created the world and gave it to us for us to enjoy, so let's do that. But, but, we need to be careful not to try to use the gifts that God has given us in ways that he never intended for us to use them. We need to be careful not to use God's gifts in ways that they weren't designed to be used. You can take an iPad and you can use it as a cutting board, but you're probably gonna regret it. And if you go out on the internet and do a little quick search, there's a, there's a video of a family that gives grandpa an iPad and he starts using it as a cutting board and he's washing it in the sink and it all looks really hilarious. And you realize that's not what it was intended to be used for. You can use a butter knife to open a paint can. You're gonna break the butter knife and you're gonna get paint all over yourself. It might work a little bit, but you're gonna regret using the butter knife for that. You can look for peace and security in your bank account or your investment portfolio, but it was never designed ultimately to provide peace and security. That doesn't come from our bank account. It doesn't come from our investment portfolio. It comes ultimately from our relationship with our creator, the one who gave us all of these good things. Look again at what Paul said to Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Why? Because it's so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Yes, he goes on and says, we should enjoy the good things that he's given us. We should enjoy them, but we shouldn't trust in them. We shouldn't rely on them. We shouldn't Ask them to provide for us what only God can provide for us. And many of us know how fragile our economy is, how quickly our financial resources can disappear, how job security is a myth. And if we rely on those things 
for our peace and our stability and security, we're eventually going to be disappointed. Money is a good gift, but it's not a good God. And we need to remember, it's a gift, not a God. And so if we look to money or if we look to anything else, if we look to a person, if we look to a politician, if we look to a sports figure, if we look to, and you name it, if we look to anything or anyone other than God to provide what only God himself can provide, we're going to be disappointed. God gives us good gifts for us to enjoy. He gives us gifts to show us his love. And when you think about the love that God has for us, he loves us more than anyone, than anyone loves us. And that's why he lavishes good gifts on us, but he never intends for those gifts to become a substitute for himself. Think of the woman who receives that diamond ring. Maybe she's the one that gets that Oppenheimer blue diamond ring. Think about that for a minute. She'll appreciate and she should appreciate the beauty of that ring, but she'll enjoy it so much more if she enjoys it in the context of a relationship with one whom she knows beyond a shadow of a doubt loves her and isn't trying to buy her affection, but is giving that ring as a token, as a symbol of his affection for her, not as a substitute for time that he isn't willing to spend with her. And then flip it around and ask yourself, what would we think of her if she loved the ring more than she loved the one who gave her the ring? But that's exactly what we do if we love the gifts that God has given us more than we love the God who gave us those gifts. We should never let our love for God's gifts supplant our love for the God who gave us those gifts. Yes, enjoy the gifts, but enjoy them ultimately in the context of a relationship with the one who gave us those gifts. Because when we do that, we'll enjoy them so much more than if we try to enjoy them apart from that relationship with God. So let's go back to the questions that I got in that email. If you could change anything about your life, what would it be? If you had unlimited resources, what dreams would you fulfill? Essentially, what we're asking ourselves is, where are we dissatisfied with our lives? Where would we like them to be better? And in a sense, what gifts are we looking for God to provide for us? But then ask yourself this question. When I ask myself, what would I change about my life or what dreams would I like to fulfill? When you answer those questions, ask yourself this question, why? Why would I like to change my physical appearance? Why would I like to change my financial situation? Why would I like to, and whatever it may be. And so I asked myself this question over the past couple of weeks, why was it that I really wanted to ride my bicycle across the country? For years, I told myself that the reason that I wanted to ride my bicycle across the country was so that I could get in better physical shape, so that I could just spend some time enjoying the beauty of, uh, of the country in which we live, just seeing everything from, from the Appalachian Mountains to the plains in the Midwest, riding through the Rocky Mountains and, and just coming over the top and seeing the beauty that God had created us, and then riding to the West Coast and being able to see the Pacific Ocean in front of me. I've only really seen it once in my lifetime, being able to see that again and just enjoy the incredible beauty that God had, has given me 
to enjoy. But then I asked myself, why do I really, why do I really want to ride my bike across the country? All those things are true, but I realized that deep down inside, the reason that I really wanted to ride my bike across the country is because it would give me a sense of fulfillment. It would give me a sense of purpose. It would give me a sense of self-worth because I would have accomplished something that relatively few people have ever accomplished. And I would feel better about myself. And there's nothing wrong with feeling good about ourselves. But ultimately, I shouldn't feel good about myself just because I can ride my bicycle across the country or because I can write a book or because I can do whatever it is. I should feel good about myself because I'm created in the image of God, because I have a relationship with the creator of the universe, because the God who made me gave me incredible gifts for me to enjoy, because he loves me enough that he would sacrifice his son so that I could have a relationship with him. There's nothing wrong with riding a bike and enjoying it. There's nothing wrong with writing a book and being happy about it. There's nothing wrong with buying a house or getting a promotion or getting married or getting a raise or increasing the size of my investment portfolio. But if I look to a bicycle or a job or a spouse or a friend or money or whatever it is to meet needs that only God can meet, I'm going to be disappointed because those things were never designed to be a substitute for God. They were designed to be good gifts for us to enjoy in the context, ultimately, of a relationship with God himself. They're good gifts, but they're not good gods. A few years after Paul visited Athens, he wrote a letter to the Christians in Rome. Athens and Rome were the two cultural centers of the Roman Empire. He'd never actually, Paul had never at that time actually been to Rome, but he was writing to them because he had heard about the Christians in Rome and he wanted to help them to grow and to have a deeper relationship with the God who had created them. And he he wrote to them something that's somewhat similar to what he said to the people in Athens. There in his letter to the Romans, he warned them not to allow God's gifts to replace God himself. He spoke of some people who exchanged, he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. And then he couldn't help himself. He had to say, who is forever to be praised? Because Paul was so enamored of his God that he couldn't help but say, what an awesome and amazing God we have, who has given us all of these things, but they're creation, and we shouldn't worship the creation. We shouldn't look to the creation to meet the needs that the creator is ultimately the one who can meet. We don't, we don't want to allow God's gifts to replace God's role in our lives. A few years ago, I was having a conversation uh, with a friend And she began to tell me about some of the challenges that she was facing in her marriage. Her marriage wasn't really breaking up, but it had grown stale and she and her husband were were really constantly sniping at each other and there were just some, some, some difficulties there. And she was just kind of bemoaning the fact that before they had gotten married, she and her then boyfriend had been best friends. 
They did everything together. They just enjoyed being with one another. And there was just this freedom to be themselves and to enjoy one another's company that seemed to have gone away over the years that they had been married. And she was just saying, I just wish that instead of being married, we could just go back to being best friends because my relationship with my boyfriend was so much better than my relationship with my husband. And as we were talking about it, we realized that what was going on was her expectations of this guy had risen exponentially once they had gotten married. She was looking to him. She was, in a sense, demanding of him that he meet needs that she had, legitimate needs that she had, but needs that he wasn't equipped to meet because ultimately he wasn't God. Her mood depended on his mood. Her self-image rose and fell with his expressions of love for her. So if he was in a good mood and if he was showing her love in intangible ways, life was great for her. But if he was having a rough day, she ended up having a rough day. If he wasn't thinking of her needs but was only thinking of his needs, she began to withdraw into herself and she found this distance between them. And yeah, he wasn't the perfect husband, but she wasn't the perfect wife either. But the real issue was she was looking to her husband to meet needs that only God could meet. He loved her, but he wasn't perfect. She was looking for him to be somebody he could never be, to meet needs he could never meet because he wasn't God. So we talked about it for a little while and we prayed about it for a little while. And we talked about how she needed to turn her focus from him, turn her focus to God and realize that, yes, God had given her an incredible gift, a really wonderful husband, faithful to her, loved her, cared for her needs, provided for her well, but he's still not God. So she needed to look to God to meet her deepest needs. She could enjoy her husband's love. She could enjoy her husband's companionship, but his love and companionship could never be a substitute for God. And so we talked about it and she went away and she was thinking about it. Two or three months later, she came to me and she was just in tears. And she said, I haven't been able to get that conversation out of my mind. I realized that I have been looking to him to meet needs that only God can meet. And I need Jesus. She had grown up in a home where she had heard about Jesus. She had heard about his death. She had heard about his resurrection. She had heard about his love for her, but she had never really personalized it. She had never really appropriated it. And so she said, you know what? I need to surrender my life to Jesus and I need to stop looking to my husband. I need to stop looking to other things to meet these needs because only God is the one who can meet those needs. And so we went off to a, to a corner and we prayed together and she put her faith in Jesus. And then a month or so later, we were having lunch together and she, she said to me, you know what? Everything has changed. My husband is so much better of a husband than he was before. You know what? He wasn't any better of a husband. It was just that she was demanding less. She was expecting less of him. And it transformed her marriage so much that she said to him, uh, he said to her, I'm sorry, I don't know what happened to you, but whatever you got, I want some of that. Tell me about it. And God worked in their marriage to make it something wonderful, a continued gift, a continued blessing but a greater gift and a greater blessing 
than it had ever been before because now it was in the context of a relationship with the God who had given them to each other. What my friend had found was the greatest gift that God has given to us. She found God giving himself. In his letter to the Romans, Paul wrote, he said, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously, graciously give us all things? We focus on the second half. If you've been around churches for a while, we usually focus on the second half of that verse. God is gonna give us all these gracious things, all these incredible gifts. If he gave us his son, of course he's gonna give us all these gifts. But what I wanna look at is the foundational part, the first half of that verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God gave that which was most precious to himself. He gave us his son so that we could be restored to a right relationship with him. Effectively, God gave us himself. You can't give anything better than yourself. And you can't receive anything better than God himself. God wants us to enjoy the good gifts that he's given to us, but he wants us to enjoy them in the context of a relationship with himself. If we try to enjoy them apart from a relationship with him, we'll never fully enjoy them because they'll never be able to substitute for him. If we let God's gifts become a substitute for God himself, we're always gonna be disappointed because they were never intended to be a substitute. They were intended to be a symbol of God's love for us. And if we enjoy God's gifts in the context of the relationship that he has founded, that he's provided based on the greatest gift that he's given us, the gift of his son, if we enjoy his gifts in that context, then we're gonna enjoy both the gift and the giver so much more than if we try to separate the two from one another. We've got a God who loves us so much that he gave us himself because he wants to be in a meaningful relationship with him. And what he wants us to do is look to him to meet our deepest needs, to fulfill our greatest hopes, to answer the questions that we're asking and to find meaning and fulfillment and hope and peace in a relationship with him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you're a God who gives us incredible gifts. I thank you for nature, for the beauty around us, the mountains, the valleys, the trees, the animals, the plants, all that we have. And I thank you that you've given those to us that we can enjoy them. Thank you for the financial resources. Thank you for the friends, for the children, for the family members that so many of us enjoy. Thank you for all of these good gifts. But Father, I thank you that the greatest gift that you gave us is the gift of your son. And I thank you that effectively in doing that, you were giving us yourself. And I pray that you would help us all not to look to all these other things to meet needs that they were never intended to meet but ultimately to, to look to you. And as we do, I pray that we would find, that we would find the fulfillment that we're looking for, that we would find the hope that we're looking for, that we'd find the meaning that we're looking for in our lives. And I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.
Amen.